This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast here. I'm your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye is not joining us this week. Um, we are in the heat of it here in latter part of October. Uh, as this podcast will drop, it'll be almost a week a uh, week from October 31st. And so uh, a lot of bow hunters know how much fun that is. Um, and I know that our guests today are really enjoying uh, the pre-road activity that's happening. And for a lot of our listeners, you know that this is the time of the year that we kind of shift from complete habitat talk to talk about hunting around the habitat that we've been working on all all uh, all year long. So this is going to be a great story with some good friends of Land and Legacy, longtime friends. We've known these guys for a while now, and um, they do a lot of really cool work Um around their around their family farm and and actually i guess matt and i have been there probably two three years ago on a field day event and um or a workshop whatever you want to call it so we're going to talk about the success the recent success about uh a really awesome buck that they harvested and all the habitat work that went into it so with that without further ado i'm going to introduce zach and isaac coy fellas thanks for joining us Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Adam. Yeah. So before we get into it, let's just say uh, Isaac arrowed a stud this week. What was the, what's the gross estimate? <laughs> I don't know. Have oh, a good man. To him. Um, you haven't. I no. haven't. Uh, I think we've all kind of agreed in the 160s. Yeah. Uh, with trash. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. going with, but I'm gonna have to put a tape to him because everyone's everyone's asking me. So, yeah, so. that's what uh you you shot him how many days prior to this recording? Oh, it was on Monday. Yeah, it's so been Monday. It's four right. days ago. Four days ago, you shot him. I shot him. I know that uh, the frame when I saw the pictures, I was like, oh, that deer's in the 60s, but he's got a lot of trash, so he'll probably sneak in a little higher than that, I would think, unless you're a really good photographer, uh, Zach, <laughs> or whoever took the photos. But you didn't have the sneaky, uh, the sneaky photographer skills where you, uh, it's blatantly the nose looks huge and the person looks small, um, and the antlers are way up in the air. I've been there, done that but you didn't have that frame and he still looked like a stud. So I was guessing mid to upper sixties with trash. So if he squeezes in at 172 or three, it would not shock me. Yeah. I mean, we know, we knew he was five and a half this year. So that's kind of our goal on our, on the farm is what we want to get to is the age of five and a half. So yep. if we can yep. successfully harvest a five and a half year old deer off of some of our habitat work, it's a win. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i know uh we talk a lot throughout the year and you guys do a lot of work and we commented on each other's stuff in the winter we we're both running saws a lot it seems like and uh um 
our favorite phrase that we love to share between the three of us is cut, burn, and repeat. And I think that's what you told me right after you sent a text about the deer. Yeah. Um, just kind of one of those where it's just like, in simple terms, that's what we always say about the work that needs to be done is just cut, burn, repeat, and keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And you'll, you'll catch on sooner or later. Absolutely. So, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what kind of leading up to this hunt, you said he was five and a half. So did you have a history with this buck in years prior? Yeah. Um, I would say three years of history with this deer, uh, got him on camera as a three and a half year old. I started, you know, actually keeping tabs on him then. Yeah. Uh, what did he look like at three and a half? He was just a uh, mainframe eight point, uh, his G threes, kind of well actually very dramatically hooked forwards so we called him hooks um, and that name stuck uh, last year 2021 as a four and a half year old he I mean he lived solely on our farm of 400 acres um, tons of pictures I oh, had nice. one encounter with him um, yeah one encounter with him uh, mid-November last year and what did he look like at a four and a half year old? He looked good. Uh, probably we got his sheds. We're looking at him right now. He was probably in the one forty five ish range. Yeah, I don't think you would have hit one fifty. Um, he was ten point. Yeah. Uh, still had those hooks to him on his G threes, and yeah, you know we found both of his sheds this past spring. One when we were burning a piece of warm season grass and then we found the other side actually my nephew Sawyer found the other side and uh yeah I, we were mushroom hunting in yeah a, in a in a TSI the big 30 acre TSI slash bedding area on the on mm -hmm. the very west side of that yep. particular farm yeah right mm -hmm. down in the thick of it so it was pretty easy to connect the dots with him yep so he went from an eight pointer at three and a half to a 10 pointer at four and a half to a trashed up yeah. 10 pointer. Yeah. 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 13 scoreable points, probably. Yep. Right? Yep. Split G2. Mm hmm. Sp both the G2s are split, and then his left G3 was split too. Yeah. That's right. The muley buck. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. How do you guys feel about the comment when people say, eight pointers need to go like did, did this buck had you already accepted that or ha had like closed that out of your brain or was this the buck that made you go okay yeah you know this is there that's not adding up i i we actually hear that some up here in this area like oh i i hear it all the time or it's like ah oh, he's just an eight pointer and he's three and a half and i'm like well that doesn't mean anything to me yeah i wouldn't shoot him yeah but I'd much rather, I mean, I'll shoot a five and a half year old eight point. I'd shoot a five and a half year old six point. I just you did like, last year. Yeah, last, last year point. he was, was it an eight point? I thought he was a 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he started as an eight point. As a four and a half year old, he was a 10 point. Then five and a half, he was back to an eight point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but no, to be honest, never really thought about that. That was never a factor in letting yep. this year grow or anything. We, like uh, that. I say that because the deer that we called donuts, the 193 inch buck that we never killed that I missed and 
found his sheds. He was an eight pointer as a three and a half year old, maybe 115 inches. He was a three and a half year old at, uh, or he was a four and a half year old eight pointer, uh, maybe 140 inches. And then he was 193 inch 11 pointer with trash yeah. as a five and a half year old. And it was like, man, if I'd have shot that deer at three and a half because he was an eight pointer, then I would have missed out on this. And if you guys would have shot that deer as a three and a half year old because he was an eight pointer, yeah, it's like trying to break the the common misconceptions that people have. Like, oh well, once a spike, always a spike. Well, if he's an eight pointer, you better shoot him because we're trying to really get the genetics for ten pointers. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. laughable. It is. It is. It's pretty funny. I don't know where people come up, how they come up with that stuff, but yeah. Sitting around a coffee years shop, I think. I'm sure. Yeah, years, <laughs> years of research. <laughs> Anecdotal research. I love it. Yeah, yeah we saw this on the farm. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, I did a podcast just this week with another sh- uh, on another podcast um, where I talked about you know the last 30 years when we've consumed outdoor content. There's been a lot of things that, from just the management's perspective, it was wrong. But that's not even diving into these little rules that they had about the the genetics of a deer and yeah. how those are wrong too i mean if you really yeah. want to say it uh you know the phrase that ah you just if you're eating fish and you get the occasional bone you just spit it out and keep eating fish mm-hmm. it's like well if if you live by that with the outdoor industry and realize that all we were eating was bones and there really was no meat uh it was pretty much all bad information but uh mm-hmm. enough about the outdoor industry's uh uh ability to uh create um bad management let's hear more about this deer so as a five and a half year old um what occurred basically i'm uh, assuming that as a 10 pointer you're like okay we may we're we'll go after this guy maybe if he presents a shot at four and a half but you knew if you made it to five and a half he'd be target number one so walk me through the you found the sheds what occurred in the planning to uh, capitalize on this deer as a five and a half year old? Well, I would say kind of the basis of it was knowing where this deer lives. Okay, so I had two years of history with him and, you know, he was, we knew his home range was basically just our 400 acre farm. Yeah. Um, And, you know, from there, we kind of picked out the spots where we knew he liked to bed just from trail camera pictures. And then we factored in, uh, you know, where we found his sheds and that, you know, further proved yeah. what, what we had thought where he was bedding. Um, so from there, uh, really I guess, it was just kind of yeah. that, that central area of the farm where this, the specific bedding area we cut for him was it hadn't been cut it was a uh it's an old homestead and like up close to the house there's a bunch of tree of heaven and then it just goes back to the cedar shingle oak old field scattered cedars bigger cedars Mm -hmm. Um, it sounds marvelous sounds just like every property in northern missouri i know yeah really and i mean it isaac went in there i was i don't even know where i was that day but (laughs) isaac just went in there and absolutely created a mess I mean, he changed the looks of it really quick for that yeah. deer. So, and it was for the purpose of improving the bedding, the focus. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was between 
the, the kind of the plan was this, this the homestead betting area air quote sits south of an old fence gap and all the all the fencing is still good so it was just an awesome pinch point going up to the main food sources on the top of the ridge mm-hmm. so we were just between the bedding and the food and it was just kind of the perfect recipe that area we really hadn't done any any cutting in that area and that was kind of the last place we needed to thicken up if you will and isaac went in and did it it definitely made him stick right at the center of that farm yeah almost like you know there's a fish in a pond but you have no idea until you throw structure in it you're like he's around that structure now i know where to cast yeah exactly yep yeah we just kind of narrowed him down which really that whole side of the farm i mean we pretty well treated mm-hmm. 90% of it with light tsi to certain areas very heavy clear cut so yeah and i like what you said the other day of you know the whole farm we've kind of hit with an 80 grit sandpaper if you will and then there's some spots we go back and hit the with a 120 grit uh really making some spots where we know we can put these deer and we can hunt them yeah i love how do i phrase this I have said so much about 80 grit management over the years with our podcast that that has been kind of the anthem for our clients. Oh yeah, I'm 80 gritting today, but it is the 120 grit that is really when it starts getting fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, now I'm really managing for trying to create a deer to walk down this path or come just right through here, check yeah. this water hole, eat from this fruit tree or come into the plot just like this, that it's like, holy cow, that's where you really, that's what you guys are experiencing, the high of going. It's almost like placing a a, 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 a trap and having a coyote or something step right into it. Mm-hmm. rather than just attracting coyotes to the farm you're like put a deer stepping right into the trap yep and it takes time i mean it takes we've been on that side of the farm really working for five five to six years and it's yeah. well i mean really year three we started to see a lot of pretty good results but then the last two years it's just been exceptional because we've yeah. we've had the opportunity to go back in with that that 120 mindset and really fine tune it. But, mm-hmm. you know, e- even after year one, you know, Adam with 80 grit, it was still night and day difference for, for all the wildlife yeah. on the property. Have you guys seen any rebounds in quail around the farm? Cause there's some areas that you've cut and posted pictures of that is like, woof, there's gotta be some quail going in there. If there's any up there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you got we, cubbies that come and go. Yeah. Uh, you know, our area out here, a quail is almost non-existent. Yeah. At least in like kind of our side of our county here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first quail I had ever heard on this farm was just a couple years ago. And yeah. it, you know, they were living in these edge feathered areas at the edges of our TSIs. Yeah. And that's where they were running around. And that was a huge kind of milestone for me yeah uh, seeing that you know because it's one thing okay yeah now deer are bedding in these tsis we're seeing them come and go but to have you know quail that i've never seen before in the area 
hanging out in there. That was really cool. So, yeah. Walk me through. So 400 acres, you guys have done a ton of TSI and burning. Um, you have kind of focused a lot of work on TSI. What's the workload been like over the last 10 years for you guys, as far as TSI versus edge feathering versus prescribed burning versus creating micro clear cuts? How have you gone about designing, you know, bedding cuts or clear cuts versus just general TSI? I think a lot of our stuff is just general TSI. And yeah. Once you, once you get that canopy open and sunlight down, and then you can hunt around it and, and just see what the deer, how they're going to react to it, and the turkey for that matter, you know, what they're going to do while you're trying to harvest them. That pretty well, you know, gives you a little bit more direction as to where where to go with the micro clear cuts. And the yeah. Like, well, this summer, um, one day on, on that same, on the same farm where Isaac shot this buck, we went in there, what was it? the middle of June and we dropped a great big red oak to, to fill a gap where the deer were always circling. You know, we didn't have enough trees to really edge feather, to thicken them up, to direct them toward our stand so we could get a shot. But yeah. uh, a 30, 30 inch red oak did mm. the job. Yeah. It was a big one. So yeah. Was it hollow? Nothing. No, I don't think it was. Uh, no. it, was a good, it was a good tree then, huh? It yeah. wasn't marketable by any means. Yeah, but, it was pretty yeah. cool me. But yeah. we'll see, you know, like, so that was a, that was just a little 120 project. We did 30 minutes one morning yeah. this summer, and we'll see how it pays off the first two weeks of November when mm -hmm. we're sitting in that stand. And, and then this winter, we might go back in there and do more 120 stuff mm -hmm. right yeah. in that 100 yard area. Yeah. But yeah. every, everything pretty well sees fire. Uh, I can't think of an area on our farm. There's a, there's an 80 acre piece that we haven't really put much fire in, but we haven't, we haven't opened the canopy up on it. That's going to happen this winter, hopefully. So, nice. But other than that, everything's seen fire and it's not really on any specific rotation. We've kind of started experimenting with really breaking our burn units down and even smaller, um, smaller units, you know, like taking a, taking a 45 or 50 acre drainage that we've TSI'd and we just we'll we'll just create trails through it and and really checkerboard it and, and yeah it times so yep that's something we're going to try to do on our farm as well once the logging is completely done and we can get these roads in you know historically we burn 50 to 100 acre units but we're going to try to knock it down where it's like 25 acres or less yeah just those are when it's like going to be really really fun because yeah. you're going to start seeing what the turkeys actually do with all that yeah. exactly and then our our frequency of fire i mean we're we might go burn something whenever we get off this podcast with you honestly it's a good day I, it's 82 degrees lower humidity and so, it's are you guys in the middle of a drought too oh yeah i would say we're, we're, dry, we're dry i we're don't dead. know who isn't right now other than the east coast yeah. um we are. My brother sent me a picture while we've been recording. He told me he was going to, so I've been watching to see if it, when it came through. And Chad sent me a picture of a pond on our family farm that it has a uh, 
it's the main pond that I've seen my whole life. And there is a, what appears to be a big peninsula out in it. It's the lowest I've ever seen it. Oh, wow. And it's just like, wow. I've heard a lot of farmers complaining and selling herds and, and getting rid of cows and, and it's just like, yeah, I know it's bad. And then he sends me that picture and it's like, oh, it's really bad. I've never seen the pond look like that. So yeah, I was at the farm yesterday picking something up and I drove, drove out of the gate and drove a half a mile. And one of my neighbors or a neighbor of the neighbor's property was burning wildfire. And really? uh, that's how dry we are. So like, I know stuff will carry and, and, and you can burn, but it's like, man, right now i'm a little scared to burn on our place just because yeah. it's like we burned we burned what? two earlier this week and they they did really good i guess that would have been wednesday mm-hmm. yeah they, what what what'd you burn grasses yeah yeah both yeah. of them were uh, prairie reconstructions we're working on for landowners and they they carried well you know i'm i'm talking upwards of 95 percent consumption Oh wow, that's like that's you, that's you're that's saying really it would burn like time. it would on a good day in the spring. Yeah, like, like a good April day. It was not doesn't resemble your typical fall prescribed fire at all. No, no, it sounds when you get ninety five percent consumption. It's like wow, that's a spring burn, not a yeah. fall spit and sputter around burn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the the woodies, the the woody vegetation is definitely taking a hit. From the fire we yeah. put on the moon last month, the old sumac wouldn't is not going to handle it very well. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Oh man. So what is uh, you know, uh, over the years you've started doing tons of TSI and burning. What has been kind of some of your favorite projects for just general improvement on the farm, or pro uh, a specific project, and then let's tie that back in with the with the deer hunts. Well, um. Zach, I don't know about you, but my favorite times are, you know, there's a lot of days we'll come out here without a real specific plan. And we just throw our saws and our chaps and our fuel and back the side by side and we cruise around and we just, you know, pick out these spots. Hey, this spot here, you know, the, the ideas start flowing and we just kind of jump around. Um, we don't always oh. spend, you know, two full days in one spot. Um, yeah, no. That's kind of the point we're at with our management here is we're bouncing around with that 120 grit um, and just, yeah, kind of going from there. We, yeah. haven't, we haven't really, I mean, we had, I guess you'd call them micro plans whenever we would get cost share. Mm-hmm. And, okay, you, you have to do this 15 acres you have to do this 30 you know to yep. comply with the contract we we've done our fair share of those and we're getting ready to do another one um this winter but yeah i'd agree with isaac like the best ones are are, are the ones where you just go out on a nice march afternoon yeah. and, and whack down trees yeah. seek and destroy yeah what kind of invasives do you guys have to deal with up there what kind do we not? <laughs> I mean, so it, talk, talk to me a little bit about the 12 month calendar and say, do you guys spend the most of the time and you look at the time spent on the farm outside of hunting? What do you spend the most time doing? Hmm. Probably chainsaw. 
Yeah. Chainsaw fire and then herbicide applications on invasives. Gotcha. So you're you're cutting TSI or timber stand improvement. That's one of your biggest. It seems like in the winter you guys are tagging us and commenting. It looks like you're running a chainsaw a lot. Yeah. Then it seems like as you get into spring, you guys are burning a lot. And you know, maybe it'd be a good time to talk a little bit about prescribed fire council, prescribed burn associations. And then after that, probably once you hit growing season, you start treating invasives. Yeah. yeah. And that's cool. just, I mean, really, even in the summertime, we've been, we've really been playing a lot with growing season, you know, burning in the summer. Gotcha. So in, our, in the micro clear cuts, if you will, you know, yep. going and stringing fire on a, on an acre at most mm. in those areas, just trying to diversify. What about whenever you are, uh, since you kind of got started doing TSI more than bedding cuts, you've kind of done it the reverse of what we've tended to do, especially a lot of our clients. Do you notice when you start TSI and, and you're knocking, most of your TSI is cut and stump treatment, right? Not yeah. a lot of hack and squirt girdling spray. No, I mean, really on our family, on the family farm, we're, we're stump cut almost hundred percent. Do you treat a lot of the stumps? Depends on the species. Yeah. We, don't, we haven't treated any of the oaks. Yeah. We haven't treated any of the elms, none of the cherries. Have you noticed the fires that you've sent through there controlling or thinning the oak region or the stump sprouts that on trees that you didn't treat? Yeah. I mean, that we can keep the oaks down within within reach of deer. Um, we yep. do have one spot right there around Grandpa's Pond, that very first 15 acres. Every time I drive by it, we haven't, it hasn't seen fire in two years, I don't think, just because yeah. the wind hasn't been right and we've been kind of bouncing around that particular area. But it, it, it's getting pretty, pretty tall. It's got a... Um, a very lovely amount of autumn olive in it that we're going to have mm. to address. And then some of the ironwood, you know, that's where a lot of our problems come in. You're just not going to control um, ironwood with, with, with fire. No, it just really doesn't work. So what about, are you talking ironwood mid-story trees or ironwood sprouts, like the little bushy ones two foot off the ground? Even the little bushy ones two foot off the ground. You can really, really? really through them and it's just, they're not it's not killing them tough as iron mm, they yeah. are yeah. they are and they're hard on chains they yeah. are very hard on chains very hard i they rank just below muscle wood for me because at least on muscle wood it doesn't have that bark it's more yeah. thin and it seems like ironwood to me in my experience has way more sprouts around the base than muscle wood but I mean, they're close cousins. They might as well be brothers. Yeah. Uh, and they they look similar, but they're they don't you know they're a little bit different. And either way, they both are very aggressive on a mid story. Yeah. I mean, really, when you look at um, ironwood, I kind of place it in the same category in my mind as the Cerisia lespediza. You can you can fight it, and you're just never really gonna get total control of it yeah at least in our region i just don't feel like it's ever going to happen we're not going to have complete control 
of Cerise Lespedeza or the Ironwood in the in the Woodlands. You might as well throw Shagbark Hickory in there too. Yeah. 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 Your part of the world, you got Shagbarks just going nuts. Yeah. Um, and probably multiflora rose as well. Yeah. You know, multiflora rose hates fire. Yeah. Oh yeah. We have a lot of it or in the area, but you know, just with fire alone, we've been able to manage that stuff. And yeah. it's hard to go out and find multiple rows on this farm now. But, yeah, but that's awesome. those areas that have really thick infestations of multiflora, you're you're not gonna go in there and burn those the end of February, first part of March during the the air quote typical burn season. You know what I mean? So you pretty well you pretty well have to wait until the until the buds break on the multiple rows to really set it back. Yeah. Yeah. What that's what we've uh you know we've talked about a lot on our on our podcast about uh we burn that late spring when the leaves are already formed on a multiple rows and it's like the biggest wimp in the world with fire. Yeah. And then you notice it's by the next the end of the growing season, it's just a little bitty, you know, eight inch sprig, and you're like, man. That thing was monstrous, and a fire knocked it back. Yeah, and then that's the ideal time to go in with your herbicide. Oh, totally. Yeah, one little squirt and done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, In comparison to, uh, you know, over the years, because you guys remind me of of Chainsaw Chad and myself a lot, with two brothers working to improve a farm, and not a lot of outside help, really doing it yourself. And so chainsawing and burning, talk to me a little bit about the progression of the mindset. At what point in your life, if you ever went through it, where you were food plot heavy, and then you went through this learning of, ah, maybe there's a, maybe there's something else where you, did that happen for you guys? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Man, we had, what do we have on the the 400 acres this year? We have six acres of food plot yeah and 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 half of that's probably clover yeah i would say yeah yeah um you know a lot of that is because of the drought this year you know some plots just didn't do great which i'm sure everyone is dealing with right now but at the same time we've really cut back um you know there was a time where we had beautiful food plots i mean showroom looking brassicas oh yeah yeah every opening on the farm and you know we were we were getting pictures um but they were all at night they were all at night uh yeah. and we you know we started to figure out hey these deer are not betting on us and we're not going to have a chance to kill these deer unless we can keep them closer so yeah i guess that's kind of where that transition started how many acres of food plots were you guys doing back then any any you know ballpark me now you're doing like six acres what do you think you did back then we could do oh 15. yeah 15 to 20 if we do <laughs> yeah we would, and the money the money oh yeah i mean yeah, yeah. It, it, we don't I like to talk know. about those days either chad and I. <laughs> I can't believe we did it like we spent that much time in diesel fuel and fighting the old tractor to keep it running yeah if we would have just picked up a chainsaw for two weeks every winter man we would we would have already killed multiple more deer like isaac just killed four days ago yeah mm-hmm. yeah because you had pictures like we didn't have donuts caliber deer 
but there was a year that we had a deer we called Lewis that was a 160 caliber deer. We had another year where we had a buck called Doc that was a 150 caliber deer, you know, for the Ozarks too. This was back when my neighbors really weren't seeing much at all. They were still shooting a lot of basket racks and now they're starting to really kind of pull the reins back and have a little bit of discipline and say, yeah. Oh, okay. I can pass those deer. Cause there's a pretty good chance I'll see something nicer. Yeah. And you know, looking back is like, man, we had beautiful food plots, but our photos were still of deer at night. Yep. And yep. then there's years like this year where the food plots are non-existent because of the drought. Yeah. And, but we have bedding cuts and TSI and now we have better deer and they're daylight. Yeah. They yeah. didn't leave yeah. like you thought they would when you didn't plant food plots or have the, the catalog cover food plots. And I tell you like the, it's hard to hunt a food plot up here. You know, we're kind of hilly yeah. area. It's it's hard to get into those bottoms and yeah, go into that and kill a mature deer. Like we were kind of, we blindfolded ourselves there, but yeah. now we've, we've created that, you know, horizontal structure, if you will, within our TSI bedding micro clear cut areas up high and we can really get in and hop around those and hunt and have a lot more success. Yeah. Did you shoot that buck on the after, on an afternoon or evening set or a uh, morning set? Evening. 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 Uh, yeah. He came out at uh, 6 p.m. and I I shot him about 6:12. So. Okay. Was he bedded in the area that you had cut or was he bedded adjacent to it? Yeah, he was bedded in it and had I really been glassing that evening, I probably would have seen him. Cause I mean, he just like appeared. So he pretty well just stood up right there. Oh yeah. So yeah. Hunting by yourself. Uh, Zach, you weren't in the stand with him, were you? No, no. Um, Casey, my wife and I were up um, about oh, 200 yards from him on the top of the ridge in the blind that Sawyer and I had seen him in. And our kind of game plan that night was we know he's daylight we had just seen him two days before and I had multiple shot opportunities, but it just didn't work out with Sawyer in the blind with me. Yeah. So we, we had a game plan of Isaac's going to go into the area where we specifically created and manicured this to kill the deer. So he's going to go in there and then I'm going to back up on top and I'm going to be able to see a lot more and just kind of observe and see kind of pinpoint down where, what he's doing really. And yeah. Isaac, Isaac texted me at like six and he said, um, hooks is walking right at me. And I pretty well, like I took the arrow off my bow, put it in the quiver, kind of started packing <laughs> my stuff up. My wife's like, what are you doing? Like, well, we're going to have to go get a deer here in a minute because I, I mean, I had that much confidence and that's <laughs> as soon as Isaac said he saw him, I knew it was going to happen. So. What was he doing when you saw him? You know, you first saw him at how, how far away was he? Oh, 200 yards i would say 175 okay. um was he, he just straight line walking towards you or was he doing the classic i'm in a betting cut and i'm taking my sweet time he was taking the sweet time uh yeah. to kind of describe the spot you know i'm in a lone hickory tree overlooking these very open hillsides and kind of this betting cut here um and we have, I think it's three trails mowed through this old field, prairie-ish area. And yeah. 
all of these trails meet at the gate gap right under me. Um, so that was kind of the plan, game to walk up that trail, and that's exactly what he did. He just took his time walking up the trail, um, browsing around, looking, but, I mean, completely relaxed. Mm. Uh, yeah. Love it. The first deer I ever shot was, I mean, it was a three-and-a-half-year-old, 138-inch uh, eight-pointer on the family farm. First deer I ever shot around a bedding cut it was the afternoon of like october 23rd so we're almost on the anniversary of that deer and uh that deer stood up matt heard him stand up and then to get i shot him at 40 yards and he was like the most relaxed comfortable just chilling deer i'd ever seen and he was in the middle of the cut this is back when we did the we were hunting on them like we were hanging over the cuts and then now, you know, we, we back it off a little bit. Um, but I shot him in the middle of it and it was just like, he didn't know I was in the world. The arrow hit him and he was like, what in the world? I mean, he ran 10 yards and stood there and fell over. He had yeah. no clue what was going on. It was like, we got to peel back the curtains and go right into his bedroom. Yeah. And, uh, he was on the couch eating Cheetos kind of deal. Like he was so relaxed and, uh, that's, that's a fun thing to experience. We have an area over there on that west lane, the stand that's right on the trail. You can, you, I mean, it is not uncommon at all. And it's, it's kind of right on the cut, but it's, it's on the edge of the old field on the top of a ridge. And then the west, the whole west side of it um, is basically a clear cut, mm -hmm. essentially. And yep. you can, you can get in there and whenever you climb up into the stand, morning, sit or evening sit there are deer bedded within 40 yards or 40 to 50 yards and yeah. i mean that's how comfortable they are you're not you're not really going to push them out mm, that's awesome that is awesome and it's one of those that you don't get to experience if you haven't put the work in you mm -hmm. haven't cut the trees you haven't burned it you haven't let the regen happen in the understory to see that wow deer love this yeah, yeah. um what have you noticed, you know, when you started that progression, so you went from food plots and you started to shift over, what did you notice having the biggest response? Or, I mean, it could be multiple things, but was there something where it was like the aha moment of land management? Hmm. I mean, we really just kind of rolled into them. And once we started, we didn't stop. Yeah. You haven't yeah. stopped. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, we see, we see, we see the results. I can't really name a, a hunt per se that was like, I mean, I can mm -hmm. name several hunts as like, boy, we wouldn't have killed this deer or this turkey if we wouldn't have done what we did. Yeah. Speaking would, of turkeys, how are the turkeys doing? Really good. You yeah. know, your area, I mean, everyone is kind of talking about, you know, de decline <laughs> on our farm and our neighborhood in particular. I'm seeing more turkeys than ever. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys must be uh, doing a lot of cutting and burning. <laughs> now, here comes the million dollar question that everyone wants to know. How much trapping do you guys do in the winter? Oh, shoot. There was a couple of years ago. I mean, we would, we would run a line for a week or two. Yeah. Yep. Now I'm pretty well. Like I'll take Sawyer out over that Christmas break time period and run the 
the coon traps and yeah but we're, we're almost to the point now where i mean it's hard to catch a coon we just don't have that many predators we got a lot of coyotes mm-hmm. and we've got a good friend uh john murphy he he really does our our coyote trapping he just eats it up so we'll let him have the reign of the property yeah do you speaking of the raccoons you said you just don't have as many did you used to have a bunch you think yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. is this, this is anecdotal research here, but do you feel like 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you had a lot more raccoons on the landscape? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like that you trapped them out or the change in that landscape through timber, uh, TSI and burning was the biggest improvement? I think that's, I think it just made it harder for them to navigate the landscape because mm-hmm. we made it so thick and it's a lot easier for your prey to, to hide. Yeah. So if that's the case, then where are your turkeys? Do they use the TSI units as well? I'm sure there's a lot of debris on the ground from the, the tree fell, the, the trees being felled. But if you're burning and consuming those up, are they using those areas or do you feel like they're using the areas they're using the fringes of them? Oh, they use the fringes. But, but I mean, I've, I've been walking through the middle of some of our biggest TSI units, and I'll kick a hen off a nest in the spring. Okay. Nice. I mean, it's pretty well a given in that, you know, in the springtime after turkey season, walking through those TSIs, you're going to jump a hen off a yeah. nest in there. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's almost like, I mean, as much as we're on the farm, I really feel like we've got a pretty good grasp on where they prefer to nest. And you don't see them in the open old fields. I mean, you'll see them on the edge feathers on the fringes, like you said, Adam, but 90% of them are within that unit. Mm-hmm. No kidding. What about in your grass, in your native grass patches? Do you still have them nesting out there? Or do you think they have a, a higher preference for the TSI units? I really think they have a higher preference for the TSI units. I think so too. Um, some of our grass plantings are just that, um, pretty heavy on the grass, which we're working on, um, yeah. not as much bugging in there for them yeah. Yeah. Just because it is so heavy grass and, and thick. I mean, very thick. Yeah. Too thick. What's the dominating grass? Mm, you know, a lot of them, I would say Indian grass is the dominating grass, uh-huh. but you know, some of those areas where we put a little bit of switchgrass in, I mean, uh-huh. it just takes off and there's no navigating through that stuff. Yeah. No kidding. Was so, it cave and rock or what kind of switchgrass? Uh, I think it was Canlow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Canlow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you you know, I've always heard and kind of a general rule with, with those big plantings is no more than 10% switchgrass or it will take over. Mm-hmm. And you guys can account for that firsthand that. A little bit goes a long ways. Yeah, I'd go lower than I wouldn't go much over three percent with any of your switchgrass. Wow, interesting. Huh. The one, the one area we burnt this summer. Yeah. Um, when did you burn that? July, first part of August. And uh, boy, I think it really set it back. It'll be interesting to see what it does next growing season. But I think you, I think you really put the hurt to it. Hmm. For other landowners, what have been some of the the tools to help you guys? You mentioned cost share. Um, are, are you using NRCS equip contracts, or have you done state funded contracts? 
Um, majority of it has been state funded. Okay. Yep. That process tends to be a little easier. Uh, yeah. Quicker. You know, the the federal contracts. There's just a lot more hoops to jump through, but they do tend to um, pay out a little better. Yep. But yeah, a majority of what we've done here has been state funded. Yep. Um, we've been we've done some of both, and you are dead on. Um, the NRCS contracts pay better, but they're more uh, detailed and take a little bit more time to get approval. Yeah. I want to know about this water hole you sent a picture of. Speaking of 120 grit a while back, um, earlier in the year, sometime you sent me a picture, Zach, of a water hole you guys had put in. How is it withstanding the drought? Last time I was down there by it, which was over a month ago, it was dry and cracked. Yeah. Yep. Well, I've got something for you then. Something that we tested that's worked really well. Yeah. Um, to seal that baby up. Um, that's what, man. I am shocked if it wasn't for the August rains that we've had here, we would be in some serious, serious trouble. Those yeah. really kind of filled a lot of the ponds back up. Um, but even now they're, I mean, today's going to be 80 something. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be, we got rain coming Monday, Tuesday, and we're just praying as hard as we can that it's going to, that it's going to hit us because we need some relief. Yeah, I kind of feel like it would probably be worthy to go in and refill that water hole. <laughs> Honestly, like I've I've laid in bed and thought about it. Yeah, which is the last thing we ever want to do. That's been Matt and I's biggest complaint is like, when I create a water hole, it's going to fill itself. I am not going in there and filling it up. Conditions like this, you're like, I'm half tempted to fill it up. It'd yeah. be a magnet. It would be an absolute magnet because it's, it's that water hole that we're referring to. I mean, it is in the heart of a 30-acre TSI unit, and yep. it would it would be dynamite to go mm -hmm. in there and fill it with water. But that would that would be a lot of work. Yeah. But Isaac's already killed his deer, so he can just start toting water now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, fellers, any uh, we appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your story of the hunt for hooks and all the habitat work that's gone on to lead up to that deer. I know you've got to try to put your eyes on another target and you're going to be back to chainsaw work as soon as season's over, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're already we're already making our grand plan for. I typically don't wait till <laughs> yeah. season. Isaac will be out. In the November. Yeah. We're yeah. Usually taking priority over deer hunting at that point. Yeah. We Ours is usually the first part of December. We'll get after it mm -hmm. and try not to blow some deer out because. Our farm is not quite there. I haven't done the large scale TSI yet, but that's coming. And uh, that's when we'll probably get, once we feel that we've got adequate cover and the deer have more of a grace around our movement around the property, then we'll probably start doing it earlier. But I know one thing, you guys sure motivate me when I see all your chainsaw work posts. I'm like, man, I can't wait. Family farm needs it bad. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Guys, we appreciate you coming on. and. Uh, Happy hunting the rest of this fall. You too, Adam. Good luck. Thanks, Adam. Thanks.